that listens to what you say. Learn more about this exciting radio broadcasting opportunity by calling WNZK Radio at 248-557-3500. This is WNZK, Dearborn Heights, Detroit. Your ethnic superstation at 690 days, 680 nights. The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English-language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome, it's uh, Ray Hanania here at the Ray Hanania Show, Wednesday, July 27, 2022. Um, we're broadcasting live in Detroit, Washington, D.C., and uh, tomorrow, Thursday, we'll be broadcasting, rebroadcasting tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 and in Chicago at 12 noon on WNWI AM 1080, which is a big uh, station that covers the northern Illinois and gets a good audience. Today, we're going to look at the politics of the Arab American community, and I have two guests that are going to join us. Uh, Paul Safaya, who is a Republican and conservative uh, Michigan uh, activist who has run for political office there in the past. He's an educator and uh, he's very active in the community there in Michigan. And later at the bottom of the hour, we'll uh, talk with Jim Zogby, a Democrat and president of the Arab American Institute based in Washington, D.C. We're going to talk about how do the two parties treat Arab Americans Republicans and Democrats, what challenges do Arab Americans face and how do Arab Americans win office to get a seat at the table to make the decisions that impact us that are based on our taxes that we pay, but we don't get as much back as uh, we should. Uh, so in segment one, I want to uh, welcome Paul Safaya. He's a Republican and conservative Arab American political activist, teacher, a business consultant in the Dearborn area, and he served on various state boards. He was a former GOP candidate in Michigan's 15th State House District. Paul, welcome to the program today. Thanks for having me, Ray. Appreciate it. No, it's it. And, you know, there was a time when uh, I know when I was growing up that all the Arabs I knew were Republican. We were a conservative community because we seem to have, you know, we embrace a lot, even today, a lot of the conservative fundamental issues, you know, uh, being resistant to abortion or opposed to it, um, you know, supporting more emphasis of religion in our lives and in society um, and other issues. And yet today, um, it seems like the Arab Americans have moved to the left. Tell it first of all. Tell us a little about a bit, a little bit about yourself and why you um, have gotten into politics, and uh, and then talk about the Arab community that, as you see it, who are they and what are they and what do they care about? Okay, I'll give it a shot. Thanks. Um, I got into politics a while back. I worked up on Capitol Hill for not quite a year as a speechwriter, and uh, kind of saw the demographics and did a lot of people watching. And back then it's an amalgamation of people going there. And when I came back, I got very curious into what was really going on in the, uh, my neighborhood in Michigan um, proper. And I also wanted to better myself. I didn't want to be a victim. I didn't want to be identified as, oh, one of the Arab Americans. Yeah, that's what I am. Yeah, that's what I'm proud of. That's where my family came from and all of that. But we're as individual as snowflakes. And of course you get enough of them. There'll be a, um, people that have common interests that circle together, but that identity, identity politics 
is really turned me off. And that's kind of why I came to the Republican Party. Now, you can debate in recent times that the Republicans have entered in that more and stuff like that. But I think that if you want to maintain the individuality and the specialness of the United States, you have to realize that we're individuals. And what we really need to do is live our lives with as much freedom and courtesy and being a good citizen in society without the hobnail boot of big government being on our throats. We've got a great model for a country. It's the only country in history that says the individual is sovereign and not the rulers. So, you know, it, it negates rulers from snatching people up off the streets and the family never sees them again. So it's not an issue now, but way back then it was. But we still start to see more and more of the um, overreach and the government legislation. So that's kind of why I went there. I'm still into, um, I think the individuals have the right, the final say is with the individuals, the people that I got elected, work for individuals, work for the people. And no matter if you're far right, far left, you've got the right to hold them accountable depending on what their promises were at their time of election. So that's kind of it. And again, I'm more uh, um, situated and interested in fiscal policy. I think if everybody has a job, has an educate, a proper education, um, they can overcome everything. You know, my family did it. Uh, my grandparents did it, you know, when they came over and my parents as well. Um, they didn't want to go back there. They wanted to stay here and all of that. It, you know, kind of makes me who I am. Yeah, and I know that uh, when uh, Arab Americans run for office, and I'm not sure if it's because we push to do this or because the media labels us and stereotypes us, we tend to lead with the Middle East. We have it on our shoulders first and foremost. So we go into local elections as the Arab candidate. And I think that gives us a disadvantage. I think if we're going to get involved in politics, shouldn't we be the American candidate who happens to be Arab and our focus should be on the local issues. We're American, right? We pay our taxes. We abide by the law. I mean, shouldn't we do that? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting in Dearborn, the last election, um, we did have um, a lot of Arab Americans running and a lot of them ran and won for office. So, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time, having the right social network, but they're all, regardless, they're all cut from the same cloth. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. I've been trying to figure that out. Greater thinkers than me um, have discussed it and wonder why. As you said before, Ray, um, you know, a few decades ago, they at least leaned Republican and now it's, you know, first recourses. Let's run to the government and ask them to help us, you know, but it's like you have a broken leg, they chop off your leg and as opposed to setting it and then they give you a crutch and saying you should be thankful. Well, you still have one leg. Why am I thankful for the crutch? Should have just set the leg. So that, that's kind of the philosophy. And given the fact that the Arabs, the Arab Americans, the ones that have come here are very, very ambitious, very intelligent. Um, the city of Dearborn is hustling and bustling. These entrepreneurs are opening up restaurants. They're opening up just about everything you think of, you know engineering companies that contract with uh, the big three internationally. They're opening up little mom and pop shoe stores and dry cleaners. So, you know, they're in the fabric and I wish there was a way to break down their a mental block, if that's what it is, to let them know, you know, there's no panacea. As a business owner, you're gonna suffer the same fate as the other people who are over-regulated. So that's something they've got to realize. What is a what is is it hard to be a Republican today in the Arab American community? I mean, you know, I I I've, I'm public about what I do. I I could not vote for Hillary Clinton. I had to vote for Trump. He was the alternative. Um, I didn't see another uh, significant alternative back then. Um, I don't think Trump, from the standpoint of the Arab community, really did much for us. So I ended up voting for Biden. 
when he ran. And now I'm looking at Biden and I'm going, you know what? I don't think he's as effective as the person that I want. And I'm sure you agree that politics isn't about 100 percent. We try to find the better candidate. And so far, I'm still struggling. What does the Republican Party, do you think, offer the Arab Americans as voters and homeowners? I think they offer them the American way of life more so than the Democrats. Um, they should get back to the days of saying, you know, what's good for one is good for all. Now, there's nuances to that. There's laws that have to be in effect to protect people's uh, property and their life and their families um, and things like that. I mean, some of the things that have gone on, you know, all over the country, all over the world after 9-11 were just egregious. What was going on and the way they slander Middle Easterners and things like that. I mean, I've got personal stories myself of that, but um, that's not... There's lunatics everywhere. Let's put it like that. You know, you can't say it's this group or it's that group. There's a huge misunderstanding. Um, the people here generally, I would say, are good people. They're not going to do anything to harm you. I think a lot of it has to do with education. For instance, um, I was getting to talk to people around the state, different groups, and they were shocked to find out Iran and Turkey weren't Arab countries. You know, they're Turks and they're Iranians or Persians, you know, and then so you spend 10 minutes on trying to explain that. And then all of a sudden the light comes on, you know, they get this uh, bright idea. Oh, I didn't know that. I need to find out more. So that was it. And then, you know, all the arguments and I'm not, you know, I can't keep up with them. It's, you know, you got the Saudis that are hated by the Iranians were hated by these people and this and this. So everybody, I think, around here who's not in touch intimately with the Middle East is uh, a little bit confused and they go back to their original positions. And that's so, our job, that's isn't it? Isn't it our job to educate the American public about who we are? Because it's the truth. Your, your heritage is Lebanese. Uh, you're born here. Your parents, I think you were telling me, uh, we're from Lebanon. I'm, I'm born here. My parents are Palestinian. But Americans couldn't tell the difference between a Palestinian or a Pakistani, uh, Iranian or, uh, you know, an Indian. They don't understand in many cases. They say they do, but apparently it's not important enough. Is it our fault that they don't understand us? I mean, the guy, a typical American has to work, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. His wife's probably working eight to 10 hours a day. They're trying to raise their kids. They're trying to put them through school. They want to pay the mortgage. They want to pay for their two cars. They want to put food on the table. When do they have time to think about who Arabs are or understand the Middle East? Whose job is it to help them understand what's going on? Well, basically, it's ultimately on us. And I know there's organizations and local newspapers that do a good job of this. They're printed in Arabic and English. And, you know, they go through some of the nuances, but the nuances are many and they're varied. And, you know, you can't do it unless you're immediately involved in your social circle or your neighborhood or zip code or whatever is immediately involved with it. So we fall back on what we think we know from the mainstream media and they do a, a stellar job when they're on task, but sometimes they get it wrong. I mean, during the COVID thing, I remember reading some of these articles in published journals by, you know, um, the Internal Medicine, uh, College, College of Internal Medicine. And then I put on the local news, which by the way, I haven't watched in almost three years now, but uh, they have some physician from the emergency room giving his experience with COVID. And it was directly contradicting what it was saying in the academic journal. So how can people put two and two together when we're not giving the two, them the two or the two to add it up? So, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. We all can't be all experts on everything, but I think people individually have got to be raised with a set of values. And then they've got to stick to those values. As long as they are compassionate and they respect the human condition, then that's all you could ask for them. And you can't expect them to do anything beyond that when when you run for office you ran a couple times one time i think or twice i can't remember for uh, the legislature correct? right 
I was drafted to run for the Senate, which I had no idea for. They just said, we need a name. I said, okay. So the second time I ran for uh, the state house and that one, I, I was in it to win it, but you came pretty close run. in that election, winning the Republican primary. You came in second, I think. Yeah, um, second, second out of two, 52 votes difference, I think, if I remember right. correctly. But, you know, be that as it may. And then I went to the uh, east side of Dearborn, which is predominantly Middle Eastern. And they were having a forum. I was the only Republican that showed up. I was not the only Republican in the race. But the first thing I did was say to him, I'm here as Paul Sophia as a candidate. I'm running on the Republican side, but don't confuse me with my political party. And in fact, I've been trying to get them down here. I've had them open up offices in the area, went over like a lead balloon. So I basically said, you know, we need outreach. And I apologize because the party hasn't been there for you. But I'm here now, and I maybe got out of the 300 people a vote. But still, it had to be said. It had so to be it's, said. So it's basically not the Republican Party that's the problem. It's some of the leadership of the Republican Party nationally that causes problems for us. Because when you look at Republican or conservative issues, um, and I don't know if you agree with this, uh, but I know most Arabs that I've talked to are opposed to uh, abortion being used as birth control. They want to see a limit on abortion. Um, uh, many Arabs that I know want more uh, freedoms to uh, uh, pursue their religion, including in schools. They want to, you know, they want compensation, you know, the way other religions get it for uh, going to private schools, to, you know, Islamic schools, for example, the Muslim. Arab community and some Christian Arabs um, that go to Catholic schools or other schools. Um, and they also believe in, uh, you know, they're not, uh, they do believe in restrictions for guns, uh, you know, uh, with gun control, but they don't believe in eliminating the weapons. They, you know, law, they, I'm just talking to other people, you know, that uh, they feel that uh, um, it shouldn't be easy to get a weapon but everybody has a right to have a weapon to de defend themselves. How does that sit with the Republican Party that you view? Those three issues, abortion, religion, uh, gun control, those are the three big fundamentals that distinguish the two big parties, the Democrats from Republicans. I think in a way it's, um, it's accurate. I mean, I can't take issue with any of that. I think it's kind of artificial because of our system here. We have uh, party elections. Democrats in the primaries can't vote Republican and Republicans can't vote Democrat. If they cross over, the ballots tossed out. So in essence, it leaves people that have common sense solutions. Now, nationally, you get into philosophical things and stuff like that. But locally, it's more meat and potatoes and, you know, got things to do with how do you fund the schools? What about our streets? They're abysmal here. They raised our taxes two years ago for streets and Nothing's happening. It's still, you know, fix the damn roads, which is the moniker of our governor, and she hasn't done anything, you know. So it's it's um, the way it's so in law, the way it's so entrenched, and the way it divides people. It's almost a natural function of that. Um, I was advocating when I was running to do away with parties in Michigan. Maybe you have a governor that runs Republican or Democrat. And then that person would set the agenda, but all of the other politicians would do what their district wants. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, people out there. That so they have like an open primary, in other words, where everybody runs and then the top two candidates then enter into a runoff if nobody gets 50 percent plus one vote. Yeah, that, that's that's a possible. Another way is. Just let everybody vote for whoever they want. Not necessarily, you know, they got to meet certain criteria. And so once they do that, they get on there and they say, you know, I'm with this one, this person because they're running as a Republican, or I'm with this one because they're running as a Democrat. But you don't get any nuance. There's no nuance. And that's what we need. We are a diverse nation. I don't mean that the way the left looks at it. I mean, the way our thoughts are, you know, my brother and me are two distinct people. You know, we're close and everything, but we don't agree on everything. And I think that's the way it should work. I think another problem in the system is our former government is set up 
to be run by the states. And our state legislators should be looking after the state of Michigan or the state of Illinois or whatever. And then the US representatives, senators should be looking outward towards you know, the worldly situations. Now, we have crossover there, it's not that cut and dry, but there are uh, you know, mechanisms to get a broader perspective, like interstate commerce and you know, um, tariffs, things like that. But you know, that, that's the way it should be. And the, you know, the fact that you know, they're asking people who are running for state office, what do you think about you know, Yugoslavia or something like that? You know, it's good discussion, but when you're running for a state office, they've got to realize that uh, you're not going to do anything like that. Nobody's saying we should go into Illinois and uh, bomb them because of the Chicago Bears or something. You know, we just don't have that focus on, you know, fighting with other states. So we should keep it that way. And the governor should work together on trying to get stuff established in all 50 states if they feel a law for the country is better than 50 individual versions of it. So we have remedies, we have reasons for the way we're set, but people don't follow them. And the human nature wants power and money. Can't take those out of it. We're on, we're on the line with uh, Paul Safaya. He is a Republican and conservative Arab American political activist, a teacher and business consultant in the Dearborn area in Michigan. He served on various Michigan state boards. He was a former GOP candidate uh, twice, including in Michigan's 15th state house district. And we're talking about, you know, the Arab American community and their politics. What is it? Trying to understand it, because I know a lot of Arab Americans are running for office. Um, and sometimes, you know, we don't always win. We have a hard time sometimes. As soon as somebody says we're Arab, uh, we're dragged into the Middle East conflict. And then you got PACs you know, from the left and the right that are attacking us uh, over issues that have nothing to do with the local district or house district or a city council. You know, I mean, I, I thought local races are about taxes, you know, uh, home values, jobs, better education and things like that. But don't we get lost as Arab American candidates in the bigger picture of the Middle East? I think, as I mentioned before, we've had a, um, historic number of Arab Americans winning here in Dearborn, Hamtramck, and, you know, more so around the state. The election's coming up on Tuesday. There's more of them that um, may get through the primary election and things like that. But one of the things that um, have been discussed is with the Biden administration, the number of Arab Americans thinking of crossing over and voting Republican because they're just disgusted with the lack of leadership there. We have a gentleman running for uh, Congress in my district, the 12th district. His name is Hassan Nassim. And he's probably early 30s, very articulate, very smart, very um, unifying, very good natured, very articulate. He's an inviting person. You know, he's not like a... Uh, you know, a crazy man, you know, that you think of in Washington, D.C. on the Republican side, where all they do is call people names and stuff like that. It's very inviting and stuff like that. So those, that's what we need. We need somebody who can explain their positions and say, this is good for everybody. If you follow the rules of the system, you will have a better than even chance of making now, you may not be president of Ford Motor Company or the United States or anything like that, but you will be able to earn a decent income, you have a chance for employment opportunities, and you have a decent middle-class income, raise your family and things like that. A lot of people, whether they're Arab or not, don't follow that. They All don't right. follow that. And they prefer, you know, there's two ways to do this, and this was written about when Vanderbilt was building uh, steamboats, how some people go to the government to get their advantage and other people try to work it out themselves, you know, saying, you know what, just get out of my way. I don't need this. Henry Ford and the Willow Run Plant was a perfect example of this because they, uh, they were making all of the aircraft for the United States. It was incredible what they did. And the way the guy just went ahead about and did it, he got the best people, he got the best engineers, Albert Kahn built the thing, but 
he was creative. Roosevelt got off the bat, his back. And that's what we need to do specifically with Arabs because they're, they're the ones bringing in the ideas. Now, they're not the only ones, but we're on Arabic radio and TV. So we got to say, had to, you know, Donald Trump had, um, I forgot the guy's name, who's from California. He basically set up his transition party for him. He was an Arab American. We got Arabs in Congress. We had Spence Abraham in the Senate. And I'm not sure what they're looking for, the Arabs. Um, you know, it's a one, nobody could tell you what's good, what you need in life. They have right. to create a system where you can follow your dreams within the bounds of the law. All right. Paul Sophia, Sophia, Paul Sophia, our guest, uh, a Republican and conservative Arab American political activist, a teacher and a business consultant in the Dearborn area. He served on several Michigan state boards and he was a former uh, candidate twice uh, in Michigan's uh, local elections, including in Michigan's 15th state house district. Paul, listen, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for the invitation and all the best. I appreciate it. It was great talking with you. I'm Ray Hanania. You're listening to the Ray Hanania radio show here at WNZK AM 690 and WDMV AM 700 in Washington, D.C. Um, this will be rebroadcast again tomorrow in Detroit, again at 7 a.m. and in Chicago at 1080 a.m. radio covering all of northern Illinois. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with our next guest, Jim Zogby. We'll be right back right after these messages. Arabnews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at Arabnews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. Arabnews.com, news that matters to you. Five-year-old Lila and her mom are on their way home from grandma's, singing Lila's favorite song. A few blocks away, 25-year-old Dylan is visiting friends at a small party. He finishes off his last beer, Later, skater. gets in his truck, and starts for home. Mom and Lila turn onto Maple Street. So does Dylan. Every 50 minutes in the United States, someone dies in a crash involving a driver impaired by alcohol or drugs. If you're impaired and you know it, don't drive. Drive sober. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key? Are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji. And at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you. And I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F. Or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. Imagine you're on a train track, somewhere miles away, a train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming, slowly but surely. If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track, and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track. Not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do All to right. manage and prevent diabetes at hey, michigan.gov slash diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. 
The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. special correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. We're really honored to have this next guest. I, I don't think I know anyone who understands politics who's from the Arab American community better than this guest, Jim Zogby. Jim is president and co-founder of the Arab American Institute based in Washington, D.C., um, and serves, which serves as a political and policy research arm of the Arab American community. Uh, in 1985 and con since 1985, and he continues to serve as its president. He's director of Zogby Research Services, a firm that has conducted groundbreaking services, surveys across the Middle East. He's done so much, and I have his bio online. Um, you could read it, but he's, per I mean, he's been involved in the biggest campaigns in this country. And I know I met him, I think it was in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and he was a great inspiration to get involved in politics. Um, Jim, welcome to the program today. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. Uh, it was very kind of you to say all that, Ray. Well, listen, if it wasn't true, if it wasn't true, honestly, I mean, we were talking earlier and I said, you know, there aren't that many uh, Arabs, Americans that are really involved in politics. And of course, you pointed out, you said, are you saying I'm like the, the only person that you could find? To narrow the show. From. Yeah, so yeah, so, Zogby, there's, there's nobody very good out there, so I decided <laughs> to take you. No, 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 no. Listen, <laughs> there there are some great candidates out there, but really when you understand and talk about politics, and you know, politics and elections, they're not always exactly the same. Let, let me just say one thing about that. I because I, I was talking to um uh Summer Lee today, the, the young woman who won the primary in Pittsburgh. We we had lunch today and um I was telling her about some people that I recommended to other folks when they first got elected to Congress here in town. One of them was Ron Walters. Uh, you might remember him, uh, Howard University, Jackson campaign, one of the really great political analysts. But it always bothered me that they would say Ron Walters, a, a leading analyst of black politics. And he actually was the leading analyst I knew of politics, period. He was right. so insightful. But I know in my case that it's like, um, I like to think of myself as somebody who knows politics. I've been involved most of my life uh, in it. But what invariably happens is that it's the white guys who get to do that. I get to, to do the, uh, tell us how the little brown people are feeling right now about the backlash or about hatred or, you know, uh, hate crime, something like that. Never about you know, Zagby, what do you think about who's going to win the Democratic primary or what right. are the issues at stake in this election? It's You have to be narrow cast. If you're Arab, you're narrow cast. If you're anything else, you can talk about the world. Yeah. Um, in other words, you're saying that the when I was at the newspaper at the Sun-Times and the Southtown covering Chicago City Hall, it's like the only time they call me to ask me about something outside of City Hall politics was if it had to do with being Arab. And it was like I was that's what they wanted me to cover. Yeah. Rather than saying, Ray, we want you to go cover the transportation industry, yeah. you know, yeah. or do something. We get pegged. Yeah. That does that hold you back? I mean, does that hold Arab Americans? Sure. It always back? has. It always has. It's it's that, you know, I, I when you get narrow cast, you get you know, you get typed. And um and so, you know, and and then coupled with the fact that being of Arab descent means that if you do get a chance to weigh in on something other than that. You've got the the fear of the ADL or some group coming after you saying, do you know who he is? I mean, when I first, one of the first breaks I got to do something beyond the, the narrow scope was National Italian American Foundation, Fred Rotondaro, a great friend of mine, called uh, back in the early 80s and asked me to co-chair a group that Gino Pellucci, the guy who started Gino's Pizzas, 
um, was creating to deal with ethnic issues across the board, things that affected ethnic immigrant communities. And one of them was media stereotyping and because Italians got issues with that, we got issues, lots of people do. He asked me to chair the group, ADL went ballistic. If you include them, you know, then we'll have nothing to do with you, whatever. Fred stuck by me, but it always was an issue that if you got out of that little, if you were in that box, they had you cornered. If you got out of that box, they tried to push you back in the box. And so that was, I think it was, uh, it was damaging to a lot of folks. But you managed to break through all that. I mean, when I'm looking at your resume, 84 and 88, you were the deputy campaign manager, senior advisor to Jesse Jackson's presidential campaign. Um, in 88, you led the first ever debate on Palestinian statehood at, at the Democratic Convention in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, in 2000 and 2008 and 2016, you were an advisor to the Gore, Obama and Sanders presidential campaigns. Tell us, I, I mean, first of all, you were at those, the levers, you were right at the table. There are not a lot of people who can say that on a national level. But well, let me, let me just say that everything that we've been able to accomplish, uh, it goes back to the Jackson 84 and 88. It empowered the community like nothing else ever did. And it was the first presidential campaign to include Arab Americans by name as a community. We'd done, there'd been Syrian Americans for Carter, Lebanese Americans for Reagan. There'd never been Arab Americans as a community. Um, and Jackson did that. Uh, and we showed our, we showed our stuff, right? I mean, we produced uh, rather significantly. Um, and um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a good ride. I mean, <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Um, sometimes I feel like Sisyphus, you know, rolling that stone up the hill, knowing it's going to come rolling back down. Um, uh, remember Jack Odell, who was one of Jesse's advisors, said, just when you think you've won, don't turn your back because there'll be people with knives and stick them in you. And I've seen that. I've lived through that, right? But um, but progress has been made. Uh, and, and I feel good about that. I mean, today we had a meeting, a, a project that we've been working on to bring young Arab American elected officials to partner with elected officials in, in countries in the Arab world. I wanted to do it for two reasons. One is most of the young folks elected to office in our country um, have never been to the Arab world unless they've been to their own, where their parents came from kind of thing. Right. So bringing them to Tunisia or Morocco or Jordan or the Gulf, that's a big deal, you know? And it broadens their sense of possibility about what the Arab world is about uh, we had our first uh, today with our, our new Jordan project uh, and seeing these mayors and, you know, uh, state senators and, and, and presidents of city council from across the country. It's really quite uh, heartening, you know, to see that, as my uncle uh, Farid used to say, this young generator, it's, it's you know, they're, 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 they're making real progress. Things that I never thought were possible. They're, they're actually doing them. And I feel great about it. When you look at the Arab American community today, I, I know Dearborn is, you know, Detroit, Michigan, Dearborn, uh, the Arab community has been very successful in terms of elections. And, you know, next week we'll have uh, Mayor Abdullah Hamoud is going to join us to talk about what he's doing over there. I'm sure he's inspiration, yeah. inspirational. But when you look at the Arab American community, what's happening in our community politically? I mean, when you look across the country, are we still divided? Have we come together more? Are we isolated? It seems like nobody's happy with the Republicans. Nobody's happy with the Democrats. Um, it seems to be an issue. Well, how do you describe them? Here's the thing. I used to describe the community as being on a, a like looking at an arrow shooting through through time, right? And at one end of the arrow was uh, were those who were like the oldest here. Um, they've been here so long third generation, fourth generation, doesn't mean anything to them anymore. It's like they, they might have homeless and tabuli, but there's no sense of belonging to them. That's fine. The other end, the, 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 the most recent, there's folks who are here, I say, with their feet on the ground here, but their heads are still back there. And they're fighting all the battles from back, quote unquote, home. Um, and uh, that this arrow moves in time so that the generation that is the the one that's in the middle today will be back here with the third, you know, the other group that is like, forget it, I'm not, nothing to do with it. And they'll, the, the group that is um, just here with their, their politics of the Middle East, they'll move to the center 
be replaced by a new group of new immigrants. So if you think about it in that way, yeah, there's always divisions. And there is, as I chair the Ethnic Council and the Democratic Party, it is with every one of them. I mean, every community has them. But um, we reached a point, I think, back in the 90s, where the children of the wave of immigrants that had come after World War II had settled in and took a leadership role, myself, yourself, people like that, who had a sense of, I don't I know the politics over there. I don't want, that's not going to define me. I want to be an American and I want to focus here on what we can do to help the people in the region. Um, we have, we are now facing a new challenge of recent immigrants um, uh, who've been coming since the 90s in larger numbers than ever, uh, who are bringing the politics of, of the Middle East, especially after Arab Spring, um, uh, and being diverted from focusing on their American identity and, and how do I get, how do I advance in America? I remember after the, when they had the first election in Iraq, some guy um, was interviewed, a Chaldean guy from uh, San Diego in the New York Times. And he said, I'm so proud because they were voting here in America. He said, for the first time in my life, I get to vote in an election. And I'm like, wait a minute. This guy was the vice chair of the Republican party of San Diego County. He's the vice chair of the Republican Party, and he's saying for the first time in his life he gets the vote. What? Um, right. I, I I oppose that dual citizenship thing for that reason. It devalues your sense of being here and you, makes you participate in a situation you don't belong. I mean, you should not vote in the Lebanese election if you're not going to have to live with the consequences of it there. Shouldn't vote in the Iraq election if you're not going to have to live with the consequences there. Your your politics should be here anyway. So we're still dealing with that. And, and that will be a constant. I mean, every wave will bring with it its own divisions, but the center is also a constant. And with the folks I had on the phone today, they didn't know what ethnicity, I mean, one of the women's Tunisian, another's Jordanian, one's Palestinian. I thought one was Lebanese. They turned out to be uh, 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 Jordanian too, another Egyptian. These are young Arab Americans with no sense of division they're just functioning as proud of a heritage, people proud of a heritage who want to contribute back to the Middle East, regardless of what country we're asking them to partner with. So I think that you can, if you focus on the one side, the, the most recent crowd, you say, oh my God, we're so divided. Focus on the other side, you say, oh my God, nobody even cares. But look in the middle and, and you'll see a whole bunch of people that grows in time um, that cares and, and has... Um, a very different consciousness. I focus on them. That's where that's where our work has to be. They're the ones who are going to move us forward. I, I've always thought that, uh, and and I agree with you. I mean, I I always refer to uh, many Arab Americans are physically here, but they're mentally still back home. They're focused on what's happening there instead of what's happening right around them. Um, but I've seen a change over the over the years. Um, and um, I know that we've addressed many issues. Tell us what, what are some of the big issues where we've been successful and what are some of the big issues where we haven't been as a community in politics? Mm -hmm. uh, let, let me just make one other point. I, I think that another new issue that we're facing internally is not just the country divisions and the, the focus on that, it's the religion issue, which is um, something that is very divisive. Um, and our principal identity needs to be secular, ethnic. Uh, I am a religious person. I go to church. <laughs> I'm a Catholic. I lived through that damn civil war in Lebanon. I will not let the religious identity define my politics. It's divisive. Uh, but we, you know, people would say, I am not an Arab, I am Christian. Now we've got people saying, I'm not an Arab, I'm Muslim. And look at me and define me as a Christian Arab. No, I'm an Arab American. That's what I am. And I, 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 I'm fighting with, I'm, we have these two internal divisions, the, the country specific politics and this religious divide. We can't let either one define us. If we do, the community falls apart. And, and that's something I, I, I don't want to see happen. What are the issues that we well, let me just Let me just follow yeah. up on that because that's so important. I was actually going to bring that up. Um, they, uh, Americans, uh, non-Arabs, look at the word Arab and treat it like a four-letter word. They mm -hmm. look at Muslim and appeal. It appeals to them more because 75% of Muslims in the United States are not Arab. 
isn't it because we're Arab that we get kind of the Arab of side course. is the one that gets targeted? I mean, and look, I mean, you know, when when I we paid such a price for, from the ADL and all them because we were Arab American and therefore had an issue on Palestine that we cared about. Um, and then I, 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 you know, in in 2016, they were telling me you should feel great because we had six Muslims speak at the convention. Not a single one was Arab. Right. Not a single one said anything about the Middle East. And I'm saying that, that one is not a substitute for the other. Please respect our ethnicity and our concerns. And don't think that if you find some somebody who, God bless them from, from Pakistan, you know, I'm, I'm proud that they're being advanced in politics, but that does not substitute for having Rashida, right? Or somebody who is Palestinian uh, or Lebanese American, whatever. It's, they're, they're not interchangeable parts, and I hate to see us conflated. Um, it still is a reality that almost 70% of the Arab American community is Christian. Um, right. The I majority. do not want to define it as a Christian community. It's not. It's a secular ethnic identity community, uh, and I'm proud of that. Um, and um, Get, Listen, go, anyway, into your, go into your conferences in Washington. I remember in the 80s and the 90s made me so proud to be Arab. Um, and it's been very hard for me to break from that because, um, I, you know, for example, like this issue with the census, it sounds like Mina is a compromise rather than using the word Arab. I would rather be identified as Arab. I don't here's, want people to call me Christian that. or Muslim. I want to be Arab. Tell me. Here's the problem with that. Back in the 80s, I remember I was at ADC. We had founded that and got involved. Helen, some hand you might remember. Yeah. Um, was our, our person dealing with the census back then. And we got a call from a woman, African-American woman at the census who was a director uh, there. And she said, I understand that you're asking for an Arab category. She said, you really don't want it. And I said, why? And she said, because if you get it, you're gonna lose about 60% uh, of your count. And I said, what do you mean? She said, look, the way we do it right now is there are 83 categories that if people fill them in, uh, when we ask for heritage or ancestry, we ask ancestry, if they fill any one of them in, we record them as Arab. So if you put in Lebanese or Palestinian or Syrian or Egyptian or Libyan, or if you put from Tripoli, if you put Phoenician, if you put uh, Chaldean, whatever you, whatever you put in, they would lump it together as Arab because number one, the census doesn't count religion. They, they're prohibited by law from doing it. And number two, they needed a category that would actually create for us and for them a convenient way of figuring out where the community was. Now, uh, we did that for ourselves, but there are several other ancestry groups that don't get counted. Um, and the way that the census decided to compromise with us back um, in the Obama administration was to create a MENA category. Now, that doesn't mean we're MENA American. Some people have leapt up, you know, latched onto that. That's nonsense. There's no thing on a MENA American. Um, uh, I mean, only at Trader Joe's <coughs> where they will not use Arab. Uh, yeah. What do they call it? Mediterranean-inspired kibbe balls. I right. Mean, kind of crap is that I right mean, i agree is, is italian food mediterranean inspired a spaghetti no we're the, italian we're the only ones that are mediterranean right when arab Medi comes up and mediterranean inspired by the way right right and give me damn it is lebanese and syrian only it doesn't you know it, it unfortunately you know it's not to dismiss any other group but it's a uniquely you know syrian lebanese food um anyway so um we decided to create the category on the ancestry one. You put down ancestry, Mina, but then under it, they would say, which country? So we would still get an Arab category, but it would allow the Turks and the Iranians um, and maybe the Armenians too, um, to get counted and the Israelis to get counted in that. But it would not say that there's a Mina group. It would I say it. that there's a Mina is simply a rubric under which these unique ethnic groups get counted. So we can pull up still a, a Lebanese number and a Syrian number and a Libyan number, but we also can pull up an Arab number by lumping them all together, which gives us a sense of, of, of number. Well, I know in the census in the past, they've had Hispanic and 
then they've had a variety of Hispanic categories and Latino. And, you know, there might be 15 different categories that define yourself as Hispanic. I have no problem if they want to categorize all that, say Mina, Arab, you know, whatever. I just would like to say that I'm Arab. One day I'd like to have someone recognize me as being Arab. And let me tell you, the single largest group in the census, as I recall, under that ancestry question, put in Arab. They don't put in Lebanese or Palestinian or Syrian. And you know who they are? They're first, second generation born here. Right. They, they, you know, and sometimes they have like a combination of parents who are one and the other, right? Um, so yeah, so it's like we've gone beyond, I think the, the, the generation born here has gone beyond the divisions. And I think that's the exciting thing to note. That is inspiring. And I know moving forward, uh, the census has been going on for 40 years, four decades, because I know I was involved in the census in the 80s and then in the 90s and then in 2000. It seems like we're slowly moving ahead. But get back to that issue of what have been our successes? What have been our failures? What are the challenges that still remain, do you think, for Arab Americans? Yes, the first success sounds minimal, but is huge. And that is gaining acceptance for the community and and recognition of our name. The fact that we have Arab American Heritage Month, back when we started this stuff back in the ADC days and in the early days of the Institute, candidates gave money back. No candidate had an Arab American committee. It was, you couldn't get recognition uh, for Arab Americans. Um, And also the community didn't identify as, I can remember bringing members of Congress together and hearing Spencer Abraham for the first time say he was Arab American or Ray LaHood say, I'm an Arab American. And I looked over at Helen and I said, we won, you know, we got that. Uh, they, they now can use it. Um, it was something that they wouldn't do. I mean, and now they do. Um, and we're still fighting the fight for, for recognition and acceptance, but we're a hell of a lot further along the way than we ever were before. And um, and so that's one, that's one big victory. Um, uh, I, I am inundated with requests from Congress people to do fundraisers for them with their Americans. I go back to 40 years ago when we got the money back. Um, now they want it. And that's a good thing, I think. Uh, I, I think we've also won um, recognition for the issues that we care about. I mean, we wrote and passed the Jabara Hire um, Hate Crime Act. The No Hate Act. Maya Berry in my office wrote it. She is considered today the, the expert on, on hate crime uh, laws uh, as they exist in all 50 states. She's researched them. We wrote, wrote a book on it. Um, there, there was a time when people, I mean, when I first would go to the FBI and say I got a death threat, they'd come back with, oh, boys will be boys. You know, it's like, well, that's what you, I actually heard that's what you get for speaking out on those issues. What do you expect? You know, my office was firebombed in 1980. FBI did nothing. Now, <coughs> the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights has a task force on hate crimes. The ADL used to chair it. Now Maya Berry chairs it. They've been kicked off because she's now the expert in it. That's a big victory that we're in the driver's seat on that, that issue. Um, it may not be, some people in the community, I think, have a sense that if you're in government and you're not, you know, on a suicide mission, you're you're a loser. But I think having Hattie Amar as uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State and Envoy is a huge thing. That was inconceivable. That position was always Jewish, always Jewish. And now it's an Arab American. And, and sure, he hasn't changed Biden's policy. He hasn't changed Blinken's policy. But if you look under the surface and see what little things Hattie's been able to do that wouldn't have happened had he not been there, it's it's big. So um, it's a it's a progression, in other words, because I see all these Arab Americans. But I'm going to tell you what, if I wanted a Jewish American at the State Department to come on the radio, they'll be there in a second. If I want an Arab American to come on the radio, there's a hesitancy, not not so much on their part, but the State Department. It's almost like. I, I don't want to say they're muzzled, but we don't hear from them publicly the way we hear from the other side. But it's still a movement, as you said, Hadi Amr, they're getting there is a huge success. And, and, and there are things that happen there. 
like I said, that wouldn't have happened had he not been there. Right. And um, I mean, I, I remember years ago, my son was successful in passing a criminal justice reform bill. And um, I went over to Senator Specter's office. There was a big meeting on it. Joe is chief, chief, uh, chief of staff to the Judiciary Committee, chief counsel for Senator Durbin. And he's been writing this stuff for years. And he, um, he wrote this bill and the bill passed. And the, all the groups were there, all the civil rights groups were there. They were belly aching. This is a terrible, didn't get it this, didn't get that. Um, and Joe said, kept saying, but look guys, we needed to get 60 votes to get it through. And so we had to make compromises to get it. Yeah, but it didn't do this and it didn't do that. Finally, Laura Murphy from the ACLU said, you know what? She said, as a result of this bill that Joe Zogby wrote and Durbin got passed, this Christmas, 31,000 men are gonna be home with their mothers and families that wouldn't have been home with their mothers and families if this bill hadn't passed. It's not the, the 300,000 you want freed, but it's 31,000. It's a small step, but it's a good step. How can you say no to those mothers and, and wives? And, um, and that's how I look at this too. I mean, I look at the stuff that Handy's been able to do. It's not great, not perfect, but if it hadn't happened, those hospitals in East Jerusalem wouldn't have gotten the money. UNRWA wouldn't have gotten the money. The, the, the partnership program wouldn't have got, there are things that he actually has made help get, make happen. Don't, don't, it's always better to have somebody sitting in the room at the table than not being in the room at the table. And it's part of the progression and, 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 forward. And Rashida, just being in Congress, just being in Congress, the, the, the day after the new Congress got seated, back when she was first elected, there, if you recall, Elliot Engel and Gottheimer and all these other guys had a bill on anti, anti denouncing anti-Semitism. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Um, <laughs> they could not pass that bill because they couldn't look Rashida Tlaib in the eye and do it. And, 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 and Nancy Pelosi and them sat down with her and said, what do you think of this? She said, no. And the bill got squashed. And so I, I, I think we, the fact that we win little victories add up to bigger victories. We should never, as I you know, like to say that the, the quote that everybody uses, never let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, when, when, when we're making little bits of progress, work with them, build them, grow them. And that's, I think, where I, where I see things happening right now. Look at the number of candidates running this year um, who are good. And sure, APAC's pouring tens of millions to beat these people. But it's like that right now, APAC's playing whack-a-mole. You know, they, they're they, just hitting everybody. They're hitting everybody and they just keep coming Dan back. Dan Edwards and, was a good example. I mean, what, and, she, and Andy Levin, yes. who is Jewish and pro-Israel, but has said that Israel's aid should be cut if they violate human rights and they're going after him with millions of dollars and he's Jewish. I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna come out of this election with a black eye, some wins, but a black eye. And I'd rather be where we are than where they are. We're in this for the long haul. We're not in this for one one round. We're gonna beat these bastards. And I think it's gonna be fascinating to watch it in the years to come. I look at where we were. I see where we are and the trajectory is upward and we're going in the right direction. I love it, Jim. Unfortunately, 30, I'm telling you, radio goes by fast. I, I really hope you'll come on again because maybe after yeah, the I election. Will. I could have actually done the 510. I'm sorry, but let's no, do no, it. No, 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 that's all right. Whatever. If, you're, if you're not tired of hearing, of, hearing from me, just call me. I can do next week, whatever. We're going to milk you for every bit of experience that you've had, 45, 50 years of experience starting when you were eight years old. You're doing a good job, Jim. Jim Zogby, my guest, uh, the president and co-founder of the Arab American Institute. And I don't have to tell you how much he knows about politics. He's been a great inspiration to me and so many others. And, uh, uh, and we're almost the same age. So, But he was the first place you would go to Way when you wanted to understand politics. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, I appreciate it. We got to have you on again. I'm Ray Hanania. I hope you join us again next Wednesday. 
um, when we're here at the Ray Hanania Show, WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV AM 700 in Washington, D.C., and 1280 in Chicago on Thursday at 12 noon. You guys have a great week. We will talk to you again. Bye-bye, everybody. WNZK has available a few good hours.